I want to say uh, welcome to our online audience tonight. Uh, there's a bunch of people that have mentioned that they've been watching. My parents, uh, good, to, good to see you guys. Uh, there's a woman named Tina. I told you I'd give you a shout out. Here it is. Hope you're watching. Uh, and uh, for those on the East Coast and, and others, grateful. Just grateful. It's neat that we can do this together. So tonight, um, uh, you had Ephesians 2? We're going to talk about Christmas. Can you believe it's only a month away? This is your one month uh, warning, you know, a reminder that if there's uh, if there's stuff to be gotten, uh, lists to be made, this is the time to do it. Yes. Oh, I have it. Oh, what I want to watch myself preach. I didn't really. You'll find out what that's for in a minute. Do we have to start over? No, we won't start over. All right, let's go to Ephesians two. Much better. Like I said, you never know what you're going to get. It's terrible. We'll just record tomorrow instead. Ephesians chapter 2. Oh, by the way, we are going to be having communion together at the end of the service. So if you're watching online, you have a chance to go find some stuff. Uh, if you're here in the building, we've got you covered. So Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read our text tonight, and then uh, we're going to take a look at it. So Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. But all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Not a great picture until verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy. He loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. You know, this week at Junior Youth, we were talking about the topic of the masterpiece. And I uh, want to chat with us tonight about it as well. What comes to mind when you think of the word masterpiece? What's the first thing that pops into your mind? Maybe uh, as I was thinking about it, the, the term magnum opus came to mind. And you're like, how do you know that word? Well, I watched Charlotte's Web, you know, and uh, Charlotte, uh, as she's about to, at the end of her life, has her magnum opus. It's the, it's the egg sack that's got all of her, all of her uh, young in there for the next season. And it was this, her most important work. You think of the, the, the uh, masterpiece, it is, you know, maybe it's a great piece of art, and we have some pictures of some tonight, so we maybe have, you know, Da Vinci's Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa is like a creepy, incredible painting. No matter which way you look at it, she's looking at you. Uh, if you try it at home somewhere, you put it to the side, she's always watching you, and Mona Lisa was stolen and recovered, and so as a result, they've put, like, insurance uh, waivers on her, and she's been valued at uh, $2.5 billion dollars. billion in 2014, painted in 1503. Maybe for you, when you think of a masterpiece, you think of Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel. 
As we saw a portion of it from the, from the intro, you think about the detail that is uh, in, the, in this painting. I'm like, man, I look at that, and I'm like, it took four years to paint the Sistine Chapel. And I was like, that's what they painted in four years. And I thought maybe, man, that first, like, those two fingers, that's probably all I might be able to accomplish in four years. But maybe you think of a masterpiece, you think of a great, um, a great piece of music, Listening to Handel's Messiah, actually, our family's going to go experience Handel's Messiah in an old, uh, in an old cathedral later this year. And that 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 ending chorus, that Hallelujah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, He shall reign forever and ever. It's like you just want to join the choir, but they prefer you don't. But it's something that moves you. It's beautiful. It's majestic. It's like it's living. It was written in 1741, and it just seems to never age. Maybe for you, when you think of a masterpiece, you think of a great movie. A great movie, if I could see the minds of everybody in this room tonight, it's probably different depending on the generation you're in. Maybe for you, yeah, Shrek up here in the front. (laughs) I was going to say, you know, maybe it's Gladiator or The Godfather or Shrek or Toy Story. I don't know what it is, but, you know, those those masterpiece movies that have great, uh, like a great plot, great characters, great actors, this twist... The, you know, the, the, the surprise ending, and it's worked out perfectly. Maybe that's what you think of me, like, yeah, a masterpiece, the greatest story ever recorded in a movie. Uh, or maybe tonight, you know, the, I, I wonder, was your first thought when we said masterpiece, was it a mirror? A mirror. I, I'm going to come down there for a minute because I just want to know. What do, you, do you see a masterpiece when you look in this mirror? Do you? I know, it's about to get awkward. Do you? He does. Do you? She's not sure. She's like, don't, I'm not looking at you. Don't pick me. How about this young fella? Masterpiece? Yeah. All right, we'll take it. You? Yeah. Masterpiece? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you sure? All right. Masterpiece? Yeah. Masterpiece. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about you watching online? Masterpiece? You're like, put the mirror away. All right. You know, when you think about this, what makes a masterpiece? What makes something a masterpiece? Yeah, big part of it is who's made it. We think about that tonight, who's, who's made us. The time invested when you think of those paintings and how long it took, it's part of what makes them a masterpiece. Modern art, they just throw some paint on the wall and say, well, it's art. It's a, it's a tax scam. That's what it is. But the, the masterpiece it requires all of this investment. You know what else makes a masterpiece? The rarity. There's just, there's so few of them. And it's also what someone's willing to pay for it that makes these things a masterpiece. And so I want to talk about that tonight. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Masterpiece made. Our first point tonight, masterpiece made. Why? Because Paul's writing to the Ephesians and he's reminding them that they are a masterpiece. They're God's masterpiece, his finest, most important work. So just real quick, because I didn't get to everybody. Would you just turn to the person next to you and tell them you're a masterpiece? Uh Uh-huh, and some of you are like... I know. I, I, that's always awkward, right? Some of you are like, sounds like a Christian pickup line or something. And, you know, it's a little bit awkward to tell somebody you don't know that they're a masterpiece. But why, why, is, there, why is there that little bit of awkwardness? I know some of you are like, yeah, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll play along. But there's this feeling of like a masterpiece. You know, we, we here's, here's, here's maybe what I want to uh, chat about tonight is that in the culture we live in, That is a very misunderstood uh, thought. People in our culture do not understand that they are masterpieces, and we may not understand that everyone we meet is a masterpiece. And how do we get there? 
If you look at our school, our education system, they teach the theory of evolution and they teach atheism. There is no God. And the belief is that without, you know, without a God, you're just biology. You're just biology. You actually don't have any intrinsic value. You are about as valuable as, uh, you know, some glorified swamp water. That, that's the understanding that permeates our culture. We don't believe that, but most, most of the people around us have as, as, uh, aspire to that belief system. And really, there's no value left. You know, the, the crazy thing is, the more that that belief system grows around us, the less value there is placed on life. The more that that value system grows around us, the less value there is placed on life. Masterpieces, well... We've degenerated it to just, you know, biology. Think about this. A baby in the womb is now considered just a clump of cells. Clump of cells. Just biology. So it doesn't really matter what we do to it. The elderly, those with special needs, the mentally unwell, disposable. We used to be proud of things that were made in Canada, but now we have made in Canada. The medical assistance in dying, because you know what? Disposable. I don't know if you realize, but 36 people a day, their lives taken by made last year. And it goes up 30% year over year in the last few years. Why? The value of life. You know, we see men, women, and children all over the world, people we don't know personally, but men, women, and children who are just simply uh, d- defined by the group that they're a part of, the nation, the race, or the tribe that they're a part of. We look at the war going on with Israel and Palestine no matter what side you know, people are on, Twitter just blowing up after that with, you know, it's like <laughs> Hamas and all the rest of Palestine, they deserve to be obliterated. And others were saying, you know, no, no, it's, it's the, the Jews have been the problem ever since you know, time began. They actually should be obliterated. And we're like, obliterate all kinds of people? What happened to the individual value of each man, woman, and child? How could we act like this? You know, there's no realization in people's hearts and minds of the masterpieces that are around them. That each and every person is a masterpiece to him. You know, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher with a very cool mustache, uh, went mad trying to honestly live out the, the atheistic belief that there is no God, that there's no right, there's no wrong, there's... What he ended up finding out or, or just um, falling, um, falling victim to is that there was no purpose, there was no meaning, there was no intrinsic value. He was an honest atheist and it just it made him crazy. Because in our, in, in our innermost being, we're hardwired to know that there's a God and we seek value, we seek purpose. And we see in our culture today people starving for value. Look at, all of the, look at all of the craziness that's done just to try and stand out, to stick out, to draw attention, that maybe they might draw affection, draw love, or draw value. Crazy displays of uniqueness, simply wanting to stand out, that they might be valued, that they might matter, because it's hardwired in us for that to be. Deep down inside, we know that there's something that's meant to be valued as a masterpiece, but there's a disconnect. And so Paul's writing to the Ephesians, and maybe you're here tonight, and you, you know, you honestly, when you think about that, you're like, man, good thing you didn't point the mirror in my face. How would you have answered the question? Do you know that you know that you know that you're a masterpiece? 
Incredibly valued. You know, Paul, when he writes the Ephesians, he reminds them of that. And he reminds them of the fact that they've always been a masterpiece. And we, I, we can draw your attention to a few things. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God says to, he says to himself, let's make man in our image. Nothing else, no one else on the planet. Nothing else is made in the image of God except for us. Except for humanity. It's the only thing. It's rare. Not only did he make it, but it's rare. Genesis 2, verse 7. You can jot this one down. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of the spirit of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. You know, I thought, always thought, oh, man's the only thing that he formed. It actually talks about how he formed the animals out of the dirt as well. But the one unique thing about us is that he breathed the spirit of life into humanity. And we're all like, yeah, we, we, we get that. We get that here. But do we understand that fully? That it is that that sets us apart. It is that that causes us to be his masterpiece. He formed man and looked at man and was like, perfection. Well, not quite. He's like, I think I could do better. Made woman. <laughs> it was that combination of the two that truly was his masterpiece. It was from then on that the ones made in his image would also be able to create and that every single child from here on, from then on till now is a masterpiece. There is no clumps of cells. They're masterpieces in the making. You know, we see it in Psalm, Psalm 139, verse 13. David writes about it this way. He's like, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex your workmanship, it's that word again that's also translated masterpiece. Your, your workmanship, your masterpiece is marvelous. How well I know it. In Psalm 8, the psalmist just can't even believe it. He's like, what are mere mortals that you, the God of all creation, even thinks about us? And yet, you made us just a little lower than yourself and you've crowned us with glory and honor. He's like, he's like God, I know you've made us as masterpieces. I just can't believe it. I can hardly believe it. And what we know today is this, that each person is a rare, unique, one-of-a-kind, highly valued masterpiece. The one sitting in your chair, which is you, and the one sitting beside you, and the one down the row from you, and the one in the next town, and the one across the world, a rare, unique, one-of-a-kind, highly valued masterpiece. My question, do you believe that about yourself? Oh, we're not getting any responses tonight. Not sure what to do. Do you believe that about you? Masterpiece. I understand there's a hesitancy right now because you're like, ah, aren't you like putting us on like too big of a pedestal? I agree. Man, because we know it, right? Any, any, any followers of Jesus, anyone who's been around uh, him realizes that, yes, I'm a masterpiece, but there's a tension there. There's this tension because we, we kind of we know the truth about us. And we also know that in, in our culture, humanism has tried to, to live this very thing. Just simply say, mankind is the greatest thing ever. And what are they doing? They're simply focusing on the masterpiece as if there's no master who made it. That is our culture. Focusing on the masterpiece as if there was no master who made it. Simply thinking man is the greatest, but we need an appropriate amount of humility when we tackle a subject like this. And as we consider it, the masterpiece is always meant to reflect the goodness and greatness of the master. 
Every painting is meant to reflect the greatness of the one who painted it. And every masterpiece walking the planet is meant to reflect the glory of the master who made us. And yet, I don't know about you, but I don't always do the greatest job of that. I, don't, I think we can look around the room and realize, yeah, most, they all, none of them are doing a, a great job of that. Why? Because the masterpiece is broken. The masterpiece is broken. Part, second point, masterpiece lost. Masterpiece lost. On March 18th, 1990, uh, that's not that that long ago, uh, 1.24 a.m., two police officers um, walked into the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. And they uh, questioned the one guard on duty and told him to call the other one. And as they called the other one up, they arrested both of them, then took them down to the basement of the museum and, chained, and handcuffed them to some, to some pipes uh, on a bench down in the basement and then said to them, actually, this is a robbery. And in the next few minutes, they stole $500 million worth of art. One of the pieces stolen was by a Dutch artist. His name's Johannes, Johannes Vermeer. And they stole his painting, which was called The Concert. This is what it looked like. It was painted in 1664. It's a rare, rare thing because there's only about a dozen paintings by Vermeer that they, that they know are for sure his. And this was one of them that was captured that night. It's valued at $250 million. If you find it, there's still a reward. Maybe you're watching online and you have this on your wall and you're like, oh. <laughs> Do you know that in the museum to this day, the last 33 years, there's an empty frame where that p- painting was cut out of. That and the other 11, they've left the frames as a permanent reminder to everyone who walks through that that thing is still lost. That masterpiece is still lost. It's not forgotten about. It's just lost. And I think, man, that's such a good picture of humanity as well, that we are, uh, that as a whole, humanity has been lost, that God's masterpiece ends up being lost. It was stolen in a great betrayal. You know, that betrayal was simply where the masterpiece said, I want to be God. And if I'm going to be God, I don't want there to be any other God. And that simple, <laughs> that simple statement, that simple belief, that simple betrayal destroyed everything. You know, the counter, the, 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 uh, the concert, sorry, masterpiece, it may be lost or broken, but its value hasn't changed. It's still valued at $250 million. You know, we have stuff around our house that we bought 10 years ago, and now you look at it, it's broken, and you're like, chuck it. But you don't chuck masterpieces. It doesn't matter what happens to them or how, far they've, how long they've been lost. They still retain their value. And so do the masterpieces in this room, and so do the masterpieces around us. And, and we know that because Jesus told it to us in Luke chapter 15. You can uh, make your way to Luke ch- chapter 15. Jesus tells a story, tells parables to show how God values his lost masterpieces. What does God think? And maybe you're here tonight, and you know some people who are like lost masterpieces. Maybe they're a brother, a child, a friend. And you realize and you're thinking tonight now, oh yeah, I, I knew they were lost, but I've maybe forgotten the fact that they are lost masterpieces. In Luke 15, Jesus tells this parable about a shepherd who's got a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing. And the shepherd doesn't say, well, I got 99 more. We're good. You know, happy coyotes, whoever finds him. No, it says he leaves the 99 safely in a place and he goes looking for him until he finds him. And when he does, he celebrates and he calls his buddies and like, celebrate with me. The one that was lost, I found. 
And then he says, you know, for the women in the audience, there was a woman who lost a coin. It was a precious coin out of their headdress. They'd have 10 coins. And she's like, they lost it. And uh, she didn't be like, nah, easy come, easy go. She's like, man, there's only 10 of them. And now I've lost one. She sweeps the whole house until she finds it. When she does, she calls all her friends. And she's like, hey, I cleaned my house. We might as well have a party. Come on over. I found the coin. Why? Why? Yeah, I know. Some of you women are like, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, it's, it's what we do with things we value. We go looking for them. They've never stopped looking for that, those missing paintings. Been for the past 33 years, they'll have annual events where they remind people that we're still looking for it. Because it's valuable. And then Jesus tells one more story, Luke chapter 15. You there? You had time. Luke 15, verse 17 It talks about how Jesus uh, talks about this man who had two sons. And we know it's famous. It's called the prodigal son. But the one son says, Dad, I want the inheritance while you're still alive. Because I I just wish you were dead. I wish you'd die sooner. But since you haven't died, give me your money and I'm going to go. And the dad does it, which is mind-blowing. But it's Jesus' story. And as the son goes, he just spends it on all kinds of living. on Loose living, right? He's got the women, the wine, whatever. And everything is good in his life until the money runs out. And then he ends up in a pig pen, serving the pigs, wishing he'd eat the food, but the farmer won't even let him eat the pig food. And he sits there in that desperate moment, recognizing that for the first time he's lost. And he says this in verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, meaning that all this time where he was living life on his own, he was not in his right mind. He he had not come to his senses. He said to himself, at home, Even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here, I'm dying of hunger. I'm going to go home to my father. And I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. And just says something so amazing about the dad. It says he... He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Dad, wait, I have a speech. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And the father says, Nonsense! Quick, servants, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found, and the party began. Why? Father had found his lost masterpiece. But I think, and as I've had conversations with people, I know many people who would echo the feelings of that son. I am no longer worthy. I'm no longer worthy. The stuff that I've done, the things that are in my past, my behavior, whatever it is, the things that have happened to me, I'm not worthy. You know, it's like the betrayal has been so deep that they forget that they're his masterpiece. The sins affected them so deeply they forget that they're his masterpiece. They forget that they have intrinsic value. One of the greatest illustrations that I think we can make, and uh, uh, I've done it many times, and we'll do it again tonight. How many of you know what this is? A hundred bucks. Would anybody here like a hundred dollars tonight? Just hands, show of hands. I'm looking. Who would like a hundred? Like a hundred dollars tonight, eh? I know Christmas is coming. This could be super helpful. And uh, 
You know, if I say, you know, the $100, there's lots of people like, yeah, I would love free $100, but what happens if I just crumple it up? Anybody still want the $100? And we're like, yes, I'll still take $100. You know, I was thinking about it earlier. I was uh, chasing my cows or leading them home, walked through the barn, and uh, so now if I just spend a little time just grinding that in, you know, that, that good, fresh, flavorful remainder of a bovine, how many of you still want it? Now some of you want it more. <laughs> you know, I'll just set it in my sweaty armpit for the remainder of this night. You know, it comes out just like dripping wet. How many of you still want it? Yeah, why? It's still $100. No matter what's happened to it, it is still $100. The value has never changed You know, I I think it's so, so important tonight to think about this, that no matter where you've been or what's happened to you or what you've done, the masterpiece that was created, the value has never changed. The people in your life and around you that we see and maybe we don't always agree with, but their, their value has never changed. We might feel like our guilt, our shame, our sin has decreased our value, but the value remains a rare, unique, one of a kind masterpiece highly valued by him. So that means every person we come eyeball to eyeball with, masterpiece. The CEO of a company or that homeless guy who's living in a tent in Simcoe, a masterpiece. Oh my, oh my. We're going to celebrate communion tonight, so I'm just going to ask the guys to bring that. As we take us to to that spot, I want you to ponder this. In a world that places an ever decreasing value, a decreasing value on life. We need to be reminded of what his word says. We need to be reminded of what his word says. What are you worth to the master? What are you worth to the master? What we celebrate tonight reminds us of what we were worth to the master, what he was willing to pay for us that each and every person in this room and each and every person you know is a masterpiece worth dying for. Man, we hear those words. Usually they're lyrics from a song. You know, maybe you've got the songs in your mind, like Brian Adams. I'd fight for you. I'd lie for you. I'd walk the wire for you. I'd die for you. Right? And you're like, no, it's fine. Bruno Mars, maybe, you know, I'd catch a grenade. What is to put my hand on a blade, right? Jump in front of a train, shoot a bullet through my brain. I, I would die for you, baby. <laughs> the thing is, apparently Bruno and Brian haven't actually found anyone worth dying for because they're both selling concert tickets for this year. <laughs> right, we hear it and we're like, man, we've, how many weddings have we heard that song or danced to or sang that, those words, I'd die for you, knowing that it's not actually true. Not actually true. And that's why the gospel is the greatest story ever told. That's why Christmas is the greatest story ever told. Because it is the great masterpiece. It is the great masterpiece. Think about this. As we celebrate communion tonight, this is my thought for us, is that masterpiece has been restored. So not only was the masterpiece made, the masterpiece was broken. This is our third thought, masterpiece restored. And we don't say, you know, masterpiece lost, masterpiece found. Because it was more than found. 
how he found us is not, is not the end of the story. It's what he did as a result. Think about this. Think about this. The perfect creator. Think of those words. The perfect creator, perfect artist, perfect designer creates a perfect work. His masterpiece. Perfection. You know, we're not capable of them. We do not have a full understanding of that word perfection at all. And we see it everywhere. Saw Lysol lately kills 99.9% of germs. Why not 100%? Because we know that we can't achieve perfection. Silver coins, you know, the silver coins that, uh, that you buy, the maple leaves are 99.99% pure. But they can't write 100% because they know that we can't achieve perfection. We know that to our core. There's that, that when God's designed and created us, he was light so pure that anything that approaches it is just consumed. It's that consuming fire. And, but man in his pure state was in relationship with God and enjoying that. And yet out of that great betrayal in the garden, something changed. It was like man had the choice between the, the uh, I've, I've got mine, the, between, thanks, between the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which leads to death. And man's got the choice of life and the choice of death death and they choose death can you imagine the the masterpiece the master maker saying "Ah, you know the the one that I love the most above everything chose death when they had the opportunity to choose life life himself they chose the opposite it was great betrayal it wasn't a little mistake And it wasn't just some little imperfection that maybe we can just kind of brush under the carpet. The thing is that there was no chance for imperfection to ever return into the presence of perfection without being consumed. It's like taking the paper cup and bringing it close to the fire. You get close enough, it's going to be consumed. There was no longer any living happily ever after. The masterpiece is broken and was forever lost to God. That's why we can't say, you know, early on, oh, yeah, I'm a masterpiece. Because we know that, that in and of ourselves, we were lost to him. And I challenge you to think about this, really think about this, because God, who we know to be perfect love, and we sang about tonight, is also perfect justice. He's perfectly just. He's not just perfectly perfect love. He's perfect justice. So here's the conundrum. Love won't allow him to just walk away from his masterpiece. It won't allow him to walk away from Adam and Eve in the garden and just say, you know what, see, you're done. Love won't allow him to walk away. But justice won't allow him to stay. Won't allow him to stay in that spot knowing that if justice is present, then sin is going to have to be con- condemned. The wages of sin, of betrayal, it's always death, and he knows it. And without death, there can be no forgiveness no restoration. And if they have to die, well, there's no forgiveness and no restoration. So now what? And it would have been the end of the story if this story wasn't such a masterpiece in and of itself. And that's why I think the gospel is such an incredible, incredible thing for us to think about. The mission so great, a love so powerful, a price so dear paid for us. Because when he found us, we were much like the sun. He found mankind, his masterpiece, sitting in a pigsty and in a prison of sin. That's who we really were. You know, humanism wants to say that, oh, men are born good and they just kind of go a little, that we never were. We were born so broken, so hopeless, so helpless, so under the burden of sin that sin became our master and there was no chance of escape on our own. No better behavior was going to get us out. No amount of effort or intention could ever set us free and it still doesn't. 
We were doomed to wallow in that cell till our death. And basically, we were dead already, which is what we read in Ephesians chapter 2. <laughs> but you were dead in your sins. Because our sin required it, deserves it, demands justice. But God. Man, I love that thought. But God. And even as I was just going over my notes earlier today, I just, man, started bawling in front of my computer. And I was like, thank you, God, for saving me. And thank you, God, that it's not happening live. <laughs> just so moved by what he's done for us. That his death on the cross was the greatest display of love and justice shown at the very same moment. His death on the cross was not a nice sentiment, but it was a requirement. We couldn't have had it any other way. There's a guy named Phil Driscoll, plays a mean trumpet, old, old guy, but he sang these words in his song called Jesus Paid It All. With every drop of blood that fell that day, a billion tears of pain were washed away. 10,000 times 10,000 wars were won. There was nothing left to pay. One man hung suspended in the space, a power struggle for the human race. He bridged the gap between mankind and God and dying with amazing grace. And the truth, for the Jesus follower tonight, <laughs> we're just so reminded of the truth. As we approach Christmas, oh, there's so many who need to hear those words. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Jesus follower. Oh, you need to hear these words. Peter said it to the first believers. He said in 1 Peter 2, 24, that Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on that cross so that we would be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds were healed. And once we were like sheep who wandered away, but now you've turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Once we were, but now we've turned. John says it too in 1 John. He says it wasn't that he died just for our sins. You know, he himself is a sacrifice that atones for the sins of the whole world. And this is the story Jesus found his masterpiece, lost and imprisoned and loved us. He ripped the keys of sin, death, hell, and the grave out of our enemy's hands as he rose from the dead, and he paid the whole debt. There was nothing left to pay, and his nail-scarred hands left the keys of freedom on the table within our reach. And the question is, how does the movie end? Would the masterpiece return? How does it end? It's a cosmic cliffhanger. Will people reach out for the gift of freedom? Because that is what is required. Like the parable of the lost son. You know, I remember losing a son once. We lost him when we were leaving Great Wolf Lodge. And as we were in the lobby, my son Lincoln decided at age two, he did not want to go home yet. And so he just left. And we, man, they shut the whole lodge down. They blocked the parking lots. They started knocking on room doors. And we, we searched those halls until we found him, you know, hiding out by the elevator. And we got him. He's like, I, I didn't want to go yet. But man, we searched. You know, but as I read this, you know what do we find with the parable of the lost son? He doesn't go like he went looking for the sheep. He doesn't go like the woman looking for the coin. He just simply stands and looks. And he waits for the son to realize, wait a second, I need to go back to my father. I need to go back to right relationship with him. For God so loved is his part that he sent his only son is his part. But like John 3.16 says, that whoever believes, there's our part, and would receive eternal life, that they would reach out and that they would grab the key, that whoever believes and whoever receives 
You know, tonight, if you're older than 18 and you want 100 bucks, still want 100 bucks? Sure. sure, there's some who would. I'm going to give it away tonight to somebody. I know. Some of you are like, man, why didn't I go to church tonight? You're watching online and sorry. <laughs> Let me just say this. Tonight, I'm just going to call somebody out. You know, and I call you out. You're, here's the thoughts that would rush through people's minds. There might be doubt saying, I don't think he's going to actually give it to me and this is on camera. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. I don't know what this guy does. Doubt. Maybe there's pride like, yeah, I don't actually need it. <laughs> you know, I have enough of those. I can do this on my own. You know, the third thought might be fear. What's everyone else going to think of me? You know, why did he pick me and nobody else? Now we have all those same things when it comes to receiving the greatest gift of salvation. But the truth is this. You've got to let go of all of that to come and grab this. I know any child would just run up here and grab it. And I think that's why he always tells us to be more like children in that way that we would simply trust, simply uh, reach out to him. That our love and our freedom and our salvation needs to be believed to be received. So I don't know, Doug, want a hundred bucks? Come get it. And it's yours. That picture. There you go, brother. Thank you. You're welcome. That picture. Man, for each and every single person is what is required in this moment. And as we celebrate communion today, my prayer is that we don't miss what that is. Is that we reached out to, what, to, to receive what he had done on our behalf. That that story is the greatest masterpiece worth celebrating today. That no greater love is any man than this. And they would lay down their life for his friends. A reminder of the great cost that was paid for you. A reminder of the freedom that was bought for you. That it must be believed in order to be received. It, it's the same with everything. Somebody says, I love you. You only receive that if you believe them to be true. And this is of far more value than a hundred bucks. We've been made brand new creations in Christ. He took the mess and turns it into the message. He takes our tests that we go through life and gives us a testimony. It's like the mosaic. He something, makes something beautiful out of something that was broken because of what he does. And that's why it's worth celebrating because it's celebrating him. The great masterpiece is not just you and I. We need to remember it, but it is that we might reflect the greatness of our master. And so tonight, I th- just close with these words in Philippians 1 verse 6. Paul says, I'm certain that God who began the good work in, within you will continue his work until it's finally finished, which is the words finally perfected on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He's still working. He's still working. He's still working. So if you have that bread and that juice... Jesus sent it out to his disciples so that we would pass that on over and over and over throughout time as a reminder of those things that I will give my life for you. You are worth dying for. That when he'd say to his disciples, when my body hangs on that tree, it's for you. It's for you. And so tonight as we hold that bread in our hand, I challenge you to think about that, that that price was paid for you that that is what defines your value, that the past and whatever else, it does not define you, not in his eyes, but what he did on the cross for you, and what a great trade that is. Let's take it together.
Lord Jesus. Father, we understand the suffering and the pain that you bore on our behalf. Thank you for seeing us where we were. Lord, and thank you for paying the total cost for our freedom. Thanks for bringing us into relationship with you, Jesus. It's incredible. What a gift. What a gift. Imperfection can't stand in the presence of perfection. That's why his blood was shed for each and every one of us. That his blood shed in our place would wash away all our sin. Not only wash it away, but change us into brand new beings, never, never known before, born again. So today, he says, this is my blood poured out for you. It's the proof of the new covenant between God and his, and, and his people. Let's take it. Lord, I thank you that you did what we couldn't do. You have washed us clean. It's an incredible, incredible gift. Lord, tonight, I pray that you stir this message, this truth of your gospel in our hearts so deeply that it just comes out of us in our everyday, the people we come across that so need you. Jesus, may, may your spirit give us the words to say, to share your good news with those who are still lost to you. Father, I pray for those in this room tonight who may be lost to you, that they would recognize that they are loved so deeply, that they would respond to your goodness once again. Father, that you would forgive and save, set them free, I pray. We give you glory for it tonight, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. We're going to throw a few discussion questions up on the screen as we leave. You know, I... The songs, it's either Amazing Grace, but there's another song that just has been, you know, in my mind is that simple thing, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. My prayer is as you go home, that's the reminder in your mind that we remember what he's done for us, and not just in these moments, but throughout every single day. Do we remember that we're a masterpiece? Why or why not? Have you recently pondered the cross? And if so, what thoughts does it bring your way? Because there's a world around us that needs that message more than anything else. And you are the ones to bring it to them.